Well, I wonder, um, what would it be like for you or for me to invite your worst enemy over for dinner? You think, oh, great, it's one of those preacher trick questions. Um, come on, pastor, I don't have any enemies, you know that, we don't, we're Christians, we don't have enemies. Um, yeah, me neither. Um, well, let, let's kind of press in on that a little bit. And since it's an election year, and now people log off and walk out, no, since it's a, an election year, let me, let me ask all my Republican friends, first of all, um, imagine this afternoon, spending the whole afternoon, everybody in the house, getting the house cleaned up, you're lighting some smelly good candles around, you're preparing uh, this meal, and you're prepared because you're going to wine and dine Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden at your house tonight. Next, uh, let's, okay, let's pick on my never-Trumper friends. Uh, what about all the never-Trumpers? What would it be like for you to do some research and to find out Donald Trump's favorite meal, go purchase his favorite wine, and yeah, that's going to cost you a lot of money. You go get his favorite bottle of wine, and then you're going to host a quiet dinner at your place for the Donald and some of your closest never-trupper friends. Sound like fun? A fun evening. Okay, now that I've got you all stirred up and mad, um, let's press in a little further. Would you be willing to have your ex over next weekend for a cookout at your house with your family? Would you be willing to stay up all Friday night smoking some brisket and ribs and preparing potato salad and deviled eggs? And By the way, I'd like an invitation as well. Um, you're getting everything ready, um, all the fixings, because you're going to have over your ex-husband or your ex-wife or your ex-boyfriend, your ex-girlfriend, your ex-BFF, your ex-boss for a backyard party. Who has betrayed your trust? Who has broken your heart? Who has abandoned you when you most needed them? Who has lied on you and stolen from you? Which of them would you be eager to host for dinner and eager to serve the best meal you can put together? The faces that come to mind for me, I could not imagine doing that. But look with me at the people that Jesus hosted and served at his Last Supper in Mark 14, 12 through 31. Verse 12, on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. 
And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready there prepared for us. And by the way, this large upper room, this was, this was probably the nicest room in these houses. And this was probably the home of a wealthy person who would have a large upper room. So he's, he's putting on the dog, so to speak, here for, for these guys. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. That means you will deliver me over to death. You're going to hand me over. One of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and say to him one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Let's stop in my slide person. We're going to skip the meal part. We're going to skip to verse 26. So Judas the betrayer was at the supper. Now let's look at who else was there. Verse 26, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. That word is, you will all be scandalized and offended by me and run off. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Jesus said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But Peter said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all, all of the twelve, said the same. Once again, Mark uh, is building another one of his sandwiches where he takes two very similar groups of people and uses them like bread to hold the meat of a very different person in the middle. We saw this last week. He showed us first the chief priests plotting to destroy Jesus, and then he showed us Judas planning to betray Jesus. And then right in the middle, Mark showed us a woman who broke open her expensive alabaster jar of perfume and poured it out on Jesus as an act of lavish love for him. And by doing this, Mark made this woman and her love for Jesus stand out like a rose between two thorns. The contrast between their disgust for Jesus and her devotion to him was unmistakable, unbelievable. 
And so Mark's going to do that again with this. Just before Jesus serves the Passover meal, he says to the 12, one of you will betray me. And then right after the supper, he told people, Peter, you will deny me three times. And he told all of them, you will all fall away. Two different kinds of people. And there's a person in the middle that stands out like a rose between two thorns. Because right in the middle of these two predictions of betrayal and denial and desertion by his closest companions, Jesus hosts an intimate supper for them and then serves it to the very ones who will betray him and deny him and desert him. The Apostle Paul described it this way. He said, The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you, as he looked at the twelve. He took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. On the very night when Jesus was betrayed, he welcomed his closest friends, whom he knew would become his betrayer, his denier, his deserters, and he had them over for an intimate dinner together. And Mark wants you to see, Jesus wants us all to see, how unmistakable, how unbelievable how bold and beautiful his love for sinners is. And if we get nothing out of this passage today, get this, get that stark contrast between betrayers and a beautiful Savior who loves betrayers. So we're going to soak in this love for a little bit this morning. And first I want to give us a little backstory for just a moment, because it helps give us the richness of this love Jesus has for sinners. In our confession of faith, a few moments ago, we saw in Exodus 24 how God's people made a covenant with him. God made a covenant with them, and they with him, and they promised to remain faithful in their relationship with him, their husband. They swore to love and serve him all their days to be a faithful friend to God, to be a faithful spouse to him. And like a bride and groom exchanged rings at their wedding, they gave a sign and seal of that covenant relationship to God. It was the blood of a sacrifice shed and sprinkled on the people as if to say to God, if we deny you, then we deserve to die by your hand. They were not faithful to the covenant. They betrayed him over and over and over again. But God is faithful to his people even when his people are unfaithful to him. So he promised to make a new covenant with them, one that would do something about their covenant-breaking hearts. Jeremiah said, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand, to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband. This is the covenant that I will make. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. 
This is a bold and beautiful promise. This is a bold and beautiful love. But there's something missing. What about the blood? He says he's going to forgive their iniquity and not remember their sins. But what happened to that blood promise? What about the promise that if we betray God, if we're unfaithful to him, then he can and should shed our blood? Is God going to forgive their sins without shedding blood? So Mark is showing us in chapter 14 that that God has come in the flesh to shed his blood to pay what those who are unfaithful should have paid. And Jesus said to them, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. The God who loves us came to keep his promise. He put on the apron of human flesh and came to host a meal for those of us who are his enemies, his betrayers, his deniers, his deserters, because he loves us. And look, Jesus is the host. Look how carefully he's prepared He's apparently made arrangements with someone in the city to provide a place for him to have this intimate supper with his disciples, this Passover meal with them. Mark says he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man carrying a a jar of water will meet you. What's odd about that is that the men didn't carry water jars, the women did. The men, as you would expect, they carried the (laughs) wineskins. So it would be odd. It's kind of a sign. It's a a little signal. When you see a man carrying a water jar, follow him. He's going to take you. And when you get there, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Jesus longs to have a private time. He's Everybody's looking for him and crowds are crowding. He wants some time alone with his disciples. He's not hiding because he's scared. He's trying to carve out some intimate time with these men before he goes to the cross. Luke said that Jesus said it this way. I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So here's Jesus, the careful host, planning an intimate dinner with the people who are closest to him, but who will break his heart. And oh, did they break his heart. The betrayal of Judas, the betrayal of Jesus by Judas was so evil and so vile that Jesus said it would have been better for Judas never to have been born than to face the consequences for what he's about to do. The denial and desertion of Jesus by Peter and the other disciples stung him all the more because they swore to him, even if we must die with you, we will never deny you. Oh, how, must, how that must have stung to hear them say that, knowing what they were going to do. He hosted these guys for a dinner. But being their host was not the most amazing part. The most amazing part is that he was not only their host, he was their feast. Now, let's go back to verse 22. Jesus is acting as the head of the household. The head of the household was the host of the Passover meal of the Seder. 
Verse 22, as they were eating, he took bread. This is the unleavened bread, which is part of the Passover meal. They called it the bread of affliction. Um, It served as a reminder of the bread that they ate that Passover night where uh, God told them, don't put any leaven, don't put any yeast in it. Make it quickly because you're going to be on the move. And after blessing the bread, he broke it and gave it to them. And here, there would normally be a period of silence, but Jesus broke the silence and he said, take This is my body. What's he saying? Jesus is saying that this bread that you've eaten every Passover for generations is all about me. I'm this bread. And he took a cup. Now, if you're familiar with the Passover meal, the Seder, there were four cups of wine that they shared throughout this meal. And I'll say more about it in a a few minutes, but this was the third cup in the meal. And when he had given thanks, he gave this cup to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. So here again, he's claiming that this whole Passover meal is about him. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And here he's referring to the fourth cup that they would drink at the end of the meal. And just as an aside, this is a promise for us that this feasting with and on Jesus will continue until he comes again and we sit with him at table at the marriage supper of the Lamb and together we drink the fourth cup. So Jesus is the unleavened bread of the Passover. Just as he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them, Jesus was taken by the covenant-keeping God and set apart to be the bread of affliction, bread of affliction for sinners like you and me. Jesus was blessed by the covenant-keeping God who spoke blessing over him at his baptism and at his transfiguration by saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus was broken by the covenant-keeping God who crushed him like they crushed the wheat with which they made the unleavened bread. And he was unleavened. There was no yeast in him. No sin was found in this bread of life. The sinless was broken for sinners. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness, righteousness of God in him. And finally, Jesus was given by the covenant-keeping God to covenant breakers like you and me. Given as a gift, not something that we could earn. Given to be received as we would receive food to keep us alive. Jesus is also the cup of redemption of the Passover feast. As I said, there are four cups of wine that were served throughout the Passover meal, and each one of them was a reminder This, as they drank each cup, they attached each cup to four promises that God had given in Exodus 6, looking forward to the Passover, to the rescue from Egypt. And in Exodus 6, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. 
Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. That was promise number one, cup number one. They remembered, he will bring us out. Cup number two, and I will deliver you from the slavery to them. That was the promise that they attached to cup number two. Cup number three, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. That was the promise of cup number three. Cup number four, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I'm the Lord your God. Cup number four is the promise of fellowship with God forever. So Jesus took the cup after they had eaten. And he attaches himself, his own blood, to cup number three, the cup of redemption. The promise that God said, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm with great acts of judgment. And as we know, when God made that promise, he was referring to how he would redeem his people Israel during the last of the ten plagues in Egypt. And you remember that tenth plague was the angel of death would sweep over all of Egypt at night, destroying the firstborn child of every household. And God had told his people to adopt a spotless lamb into their home, to shed its blood and put the blood on the doorpost of the outside of the house so that when the angel of death saw the blood of the lamb, he would pass over that household. Less than 24 hours from the moment that Jesus held up this cup and said, this cup is my blood of the covenant. (laughs) He would shed his blood. He would become the Passover lamb. Jesus himself would pour out his blood to redeem his people with an outstretched arm and with a great act of judgment. He would take the judgment of death that his people deserved on himself by becoming the Passover lamb of God who covers all those who trust his blood to cover them. It's my blood, Jesus says. Don't you see? I will give my very own blood so that you don't have to pay the penalty so that you can enjoy covenant fellowship with your God forever. So Jesus not only hosts those who sin against him, he becomes the feast that he sets before them. He is the bread, he is the cup, he is the Passover lamb. I asked you when we began, would you host a dinner party for your betrayer, for the ones who have abandoned you? who have broken their promises to you, who have deserted you. But the better question is the one the disciples asked Jesus when he said that one of them would betray him. And that question is, is it I? Is it I? I asked myself this question this week, and I thought of two ways that I currently betray him. After 42 years of walking with Jesus, my heart seems to be still motivated more by what I think people think of me than by what he says he thinks of me. I look back and I can see that I've grown a lot in that. 
but I still spend way too much time and energy trying to wrestle approval out of you than resting in the approval I already have in Christ Jesus. And you may think, oh, Jimmy, that's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. But it is. It is a big deal because I'm betraying his heart. I'm denying the truth of the gospel that says I am crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in this flesh, in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So to live by faith in what you think of me or what I think you think of me is to deny the gospel, and is to deny Jesus, and is to desert him and run after other lovers. So I still betray him. And another way I betray him is by not having the same gentle and lowly heart of Jesus for others that he has had for me. Jesus said, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest because I am gentle and lowly in heart. But there are a few people in my life that I struggle to offer a gentle and lowly heart of humble kindness. I betray the heart of Jesus by not offering his humble heart to the people in the world, in the places he's given me. So it is I. I betray the heart of my good and gracious Father. I deny Jesus by not resting on him and by not offering him to others. I desert the Holy Spirit when I resist his presence and I rebel against his promptings to seek God and serve others. It is I. Are we willing to admit that we have betrayed him, that we've been unfaithful to him, that we continue to break our promises to him, that we desert him and run after other lovers? It is us. And still he invites us to his table. And we don't have to bring anything to the meal except our neediness, our hunger, and our thirst. In fact, there's nothing we can bring. He's provided and prepared everything. And he's done it because he loves us. He knows our betraying hearts, and he loves us. Romans 5 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sitting at the table plotting to betray him, he, he poured himself out. So if you're a sinner, he set the table for you. All you have to do is come and feed on him by faith. It requires admitting that what you most need and what you most hunger for is the very feast he sets before you. It's him. It's him. And so in Revelation 3.20, Jesus gives us this open invitation to all who know they are his enemies, but who are hungry and thirsty to be his forgiven friends. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. 
How will we respond to that invitation today? Tomorrow? This week? And yeah, it seems cruel that we're not going to have the Lord's Supper right now. (laughs) But what I'd love for you to do, what I'd need to do is, as we continue the fast for one more week, Ask again and, again and again the question, is it I, Lord? Am I hungry? Am I thirsty for the feast that you have set before me in Jesus? Father, come and make us a hungry and thirsty church. a hungry and thirsty church who stand in awe of your great love for sinners like us. Who can say with Paul, this is a trustworthy saying, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I'm the chief one. I'm first in line at the feast. Help us to trust that you love us that much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.